It is going to be kind of a heavier couple weeks uh, because we're going to do a two-week series that I think is absolutely essential for us as a church, for us as an American culture, on grief. Uh, something that we don't talk about a lot. Uh, it's not that grief is bad. We're just not good at it. And so we're going to kind of walk through this together. Now, before I jump into today, I want to remind you know every one of you that we have what's called worship night. You know, uh, tonight it's from six to seven thirty p.m. back here in this room. And it's an opportunity, you know, for us to just to gather to just to worship the Lord through song. But in addition, uh, I'm going to present just a little bit uh, partway during our time together because God is showing off a little bit right now. It's actually getting national news, you know, uh, at the, what's being called the Asbury Revival. And it's uh, spreading across college campuses, you know, across our country as we speak. And so we want to walk through what is a revival? What does that look like? And are we experiencing one? How can we experience one? So we're going to talk through that just a little bit while we're experiencing the presence of God by worshiping together. So I want to encourage you to join me, you know, and the rest of the team, you know, tonight as we go through this together. Uh, Again, six o'clock right back here. So today, like I said, two-week series on grief. Now, uh, grief uh, can be painful, but there's always some humorous you know, parts to it as well. Like, I'll never forget that when my dad passed away, uh, literally when he passed, my, my, my uh, youngest son was about four years old at the time. Oldest son was uh, about eight years old at the time. And uh, I remember immediately after he had passed, I you know, went and I talked to both the boys that, hey, just want you to know that grandfather you know, has gone to heaven and he's uh, gone to be with Jesus. Well, I was surprised to see that my younger son, Alex, was really angry. You know, I was like, he was just he was angry, and he felt like he was angry at me. And I was like, buddy, what's going on? He goes, Dad, I wanted to be there. I was like, what? I was like, I wanted to be there to see Grandfather go to heaven. And I just started, I kind of smiled a little bit, and I said, it doesn't kind of work that way. Yes, it does, Dad. Haven't you seen the cartoons where they go, boop, and they, they go up to heaven? And I just, you know, it's just, it's just an understanding. We all have understandings of what grief and what that kind of looks like, you know, based on either our perspective or our experiences, but we also have a lot of misunderstandings. So let's start with this reminder. God created us to grieve. He grieved. But grief is actually evidence that we live in a fallen world. Uh, Do you ever notice that when you grieve, when you go through something, you just kind of feel like to the core of your being, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't seem right. It shouldn't be this way. And you would be right because God didn't intend it to be this way when he created the world. But we chose to go opposite of God's plan back in that garden. And we have suffered those consequences since that time. In fact, the first time that we mention grief in our Bibles is actually in Genesis chapter six, verse six, and notice where it's, where it's first mentioned. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth because at that point, man was thinking about and doing evil all the time. And notice what it says, and it grieved him. So it grieved him in his heart. So God is actually the first one to actually experience, you know, grief. In fact, I was thinking, you know, this week, and I don't know if this is true or not. So don't say, well, Dan said, this is just something that just hit me. I wonder if our ability to grieve only came after the fall. Uh, Because when God created, you know, the, the, the Garden of Eden, there was no pain, there was no suffering, there was no death. There was nothing that would cause someone or anyone to grieve. And yet, wouldn't it be just like God that in our choice to not follow him, that he would actually give us the gift of grief? 
so that when we go through pain, loss, suffering, and sorrow, we would actually have a process or way for us to experience that instead of not being able to do that in any way, shape, or form. I don't know if that's true, but it's just something that kind of hit me, you know, this week. I love uh, C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis, you know, said these words, grief is the price that we pay for having loved someone or something. Uh, in other words, you don't grieve things that you don't care about. And, and it's not just someone. Now, um, and when I talk about grief, I'm not just talking about when we have lost somebody to death. I'm talking about any kind of grief. In fact, what COVID has shown us is that we've suffered a lot of loss and a lot of change, and we have not properly grieved in the way that God called and wired us. Uh, like, for example, uh, you may have lost a relationship. It could be in a breakup. It could be in a divorce. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost resources. You know, uh, maybe you lost experiences. Maybe you lost a dream that's taken place. All of these are opportunities for us to grieve in addition to grieving over someone who has passed away. Uh, like for example, during COVID, one of the things that uh, broke my heart was watching our juniors and seniors at that time. Uh, kids who lost things, young adults who lost things that they never got a chance to experience. So those final two years of, of them being virtually in a classroom, not doing those last year or two of events or sports or activities that they were looking forward to, not being able to have a prom, not having a live graduation, and they went through this, but yet have they actually gone through a grief process for what they have lost? And maybe that's you here on this day. We've all lost something, maybe as well as someone. So here's what I want you to do, is I want you to think of what that something or someone is. So you've lost something. You've gone through some something over the last week, month, year that you can identify because it will help so much with what I believe God wants you to receive on this day if you can identify what that is. So what is something that you've lost? Something that was important to you? Again, it could be someone or it could be something. So hopefully you have that in your head. I remember the first time experiencing in my life the suffering of grief. And it wasn't through a loss of someone, uh, it was actually a something, and it was a dog. Uh, I had a dog that was named Skipper. Now, Skipper was a golden lab, and, and I loved Skipper. Problem is, my parents and my family hated Skipper, and not wrongly so, because every reason that you choose not to get an animal is the reason what this dog exhibited. Uh, it tore up everything in the house, incessantly chewing. It pooped and peed everywhere. We were not good dog people. It tore up the inside and the outside of the house. Every time my mom tried to do any gardening, just ripped it up, would dig underneath the fence so that all of our neighbors could enjoy my dog and all that that would bring, would bark incessantly into the middle of the night. And my parents were just like, this dog is of the devil, you know? And I'm just like, but I love the dog. Did I take care of the dog? No, but I love the dog. And so one week I got an opportunity to go to a Christian camp. So I was like in middle school, sixth grade, I believe, and I, and I headed off to a Christian camp. And when I got back from Christian camp, my first thing I did, I run into the house, Skipper, Skipper, come here, boy, nothing. To which that's when my parents decided to tell me that they gave my dog away while I was at camp. What kind of sick parents <laughs> give a dog away while you're at a Christian camp? 
you know, that's just a whole other level, you know, of weirdness, okay? Now, again, they tried to make it better because they actually didn't realize how much I loved the dog. They just thought the dog was as much annoying to me as it was to them. And so uh, they told me that, well, we gave it to a, a guy who had a great farm and lots of place to run and it's gonna be great. I'm like, that's great for Skipper, not great for Danny. You know, and so I remember this deep grief. And my parents felt awful, by the way. You know, and we joke about it now since. It's kind of a sick thing, yes. You know, and they've learned, you know, since that time as well. But uh, it, it was a hard, hard season for me to be able to walk through. And yet, I don't know if I grieve very well. Because I don't think our culture allows us to grieve very well. In fact, uh, just a reminder, many Bible characters grieved, including Jesus. Okay, including Jesus, people like Abraham mourned the passing of his wife, Sarah, Isaac, who was grieving three years after his mother's death, David, you know, wept when his friend Jonathan died, the grief of Job and the loss of his children. The Bible even describes Jesus as a man of sorrows. Notice this, what it says about him. In Isaiah 53, verse three, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. Now, was it just because he lost people? No, look what it says. We turned our backs on him. Part of the reason he grieved is because he got rejected and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Jesus, of all people, knew what it was like and the importance of grieving. See, he, his friend Lazarus dies. He knows he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, but he sees the grief around him. And in two powerful words, the Bible says Jesus wept. A second time that we see Jesus grieve is over his love, for the Jewish people in Luke 19, verse 41. But as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead and he began to weep. Why? The Bible says it's because he mourned what they were missing, that God had sent them prophet after prophet and messenger after messenger, and they kept rejecting them. And as a hen wants to gather her chicks, Jesus wanted to do the same thing with his people, but his people rejected them. And so he grieved that rejection. Or how about when he's about ready to go to the cross? Actually, in Hebrews 5, 7, it says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. So we understand that like Jesus, we have a Savior who identifies with all types of grief that you and I may go through. And in fact, I want to show you a video you know, of a couple who's been willing enough to open up themselves and be a little vulnerable about some grief that they went through. And I want you to notice not just the grief, but some of the things that they processed, some of the ways that they've kind of experienced to try to go through grief. Go ahead and check out the screen with me now. I had been having a lot of pain and um, they had said, you know, you're done having children if you want and you might be a deal candidate for a hysterectomy. And the morning I went in for surgery, they told me I was pregnant. And then about a month later, I started having a miscarriage and it broke our heart. They said that um, I had had a miscarriage, uh, one baby, and that one was in my fallopian tube and it was an ectopic pregnancy and I was gonna be rushed into surgery. I was internally bleeding and um, they had to do surgery right away. I always believed in God and going through this, I had prayed so much and I, I knew that he wasn't out to hurt me, but I just, I couldn't understand why. I didn't know why he would give me a baby and then take it away. 
In 2005, my dad and sister were in a motorcycle accident and the car crossed and hit them head on and took both their lives. At that time, I was more involved in church and it just shattered my world. And I, just so much pain just made me think like, there's no way that, you know, if there was a God that this would be allowed to happen. One friend had gone through um, miscarriages herself and had asked if I would be interested in going to a religious retreat. It like fed my soul right away and I just felt so comfortable being there. I just knew like, I wanted more. My soul needed God really bad, and it filled me up despite just being broken. Uh, we were in the kitchen, and I was like, I'm gonna bring our kids to church. I'm gonna go to Valley Real Life. It's really close. I hear great things. You know, would you entertain going? And my surprise, he said yes. He wanted to go with me. Everything Dan was saying, he was just talking straight to me right into my heart. And it's like, you know, God is here. He's listening. He. He knows. He gave the band a little extra time to play, and I sobbed. Like, I have not cried like that in a really long time, especially around people, but it just, it felt so comforting. Like, my soul was full, even though it was breaking. Some of the first uh, experiences of people being, like, fully vulnerable was just so eye-opening, you know, just saying, just telling you the truth about their life and at church and you're kind of going like, wow, like this guy's serious. He's just laying it all out there about the struggles and the sins and the things in his heart that are that are painful. And I guess maybe I can open up a little bit. And then I found like just a few months later, I'm constantly dragging her into all these other uh, oh, <laughs> commitments. You're get <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, we're joining, we're doing a rooted group and it's a small group. You're going to give your testimony in there. Yeah. And, um, sometimes when you're not in those groups, you're outside, you feel like you always have to pretend everything's perfect. You know, you're not supposed to let your guard down, but that's just not a great way to live. So. Men have to grieve too. It is it is okay to cry. It's, you know, healing to let your emotions out. And if you bottle that up, again, it's just gonna manifest in some sort of pain that it needs to come out. The healing that occurs when you're in a group of people that with God at the center and focused on life's problems, it's amazing. Can we give him a hand just for being willing to share that? We need each other as we go on this journey. Uh, but in our culture especially, uh, we have the temptation to avoid grief. That, that, that's, that's really true for almost everyone. We have a temptation to avoid grief. In fact, I don't know if you've heard this story. A man, a wife, and a mother-in-law were on vacation in Israel. While they were there, the mother-in-law happened to pass away. Well, the undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for $5,000, or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for only $150. The man thought about it, told him he would just have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why? Why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when it would be wonderful to have her buried here in the Holy Land for only $150? The man said, well, I thought and prayed about this, but I realized that a man died 2,000 years ago here. He was buried, but then he rose from the dead three days later. I just can't take that chance. Yeah, it's sick, but that's a good one. <laughs> it makes me laugh. This idea of grieving, it's, it's different. There's a Western understanding, even in our culture today, and an Eastern understanding in our world. I'll, I'll give an example. In Western culture today, uh, you get these kind of themes, this, this idea of be strong, suck it up, get through it quickly. Or if we talk about it, let's just not talk about it for very long. Let's just move through it. 
In the Eastern side of our world, there's a different response. One I think is probably more adequate, more better for us because there's a, there's a loud wailing that can tend to come. There are days that are set aside through a mourning process. In fact, people actually specifically wear different clothing to let other people know that they are in grief, they are in loss, and they're in mourning. Uh, now, next week, we're going to go through what is so critical. It's called the stages of grief. In fact, uh, our new CR pastor, Drew Chikaitis, is going to lead us through those stages of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and how to help other people in their process as well. But when we look at ourselves, understand avoiding the grief process can isolate and hinder your relationships with God, your relationships with others, even a relationship within yourself. You know, they've done all the studies that a lack of properly grieving, instead of choosing to stuff it or ignore it, actually correlates with higher levels of disease. You know, blood pressure and things. Mental health issues skyrocket. Addictions begin to go to another level. Understand this. Feeling bad is not bad. It's what we do when we feel bad that could actually lead to things that are bad. In fact, I got the following from uh, Dr. Paul Alexander, who is the president of Hope International University, as well as a psychologist. And he walks through the most common ways we try as Americans to avoid grief. And as we go through this, I want you to see if you can readily identify, yeah, that's probably my temptation. That's probably the one that I might find myself going to. Like I'll put myself you know, out there first. First is intellectualizing. Uh, this is especially true for men. Instead of doing the emotional work, we think about it instead of feel about it. Uh, to give you an example, when my father passed away, I didn't shed a tear for a year. It was only until I went to his graveside that all of a sudden it came and it just flooded, just flooded. I couldn't stop myself. You know, once I, the, the dam broke and the emotions that I was feeling, why? It wasn't that I wasn't thinking about it. It wasn't that I, was, I wasn't telling people about it. It wasn't that I was being vulnerable about it. It was I was choosing not to feel about it. Instead, just think about it, intellectualizing. Uh, the second one, this might be you, uh, is minimizing. Uh, we minimize it. So when, you know, a child has a goldfish that dies, or I had, I had hamsters or, or guinea pigs, you know, that pass away, we minimize it. We say, oh, that's just not a big deal, right? It's okay. It's just, it's a little thing. Or when you have that first breakup, you're like, oh, it's okay. There's more fish in the sea. And we never take time to process. And so we just minimize these things. And we just say, they're not a big deal. We try to make them small. Or the third way we like to avoid is replacing. Replacing. You ever know somebody literally to replace an animal, to try to fool the kid that the animal has actually died? You know, like, like hey, you know, little Skippy, you know, a little gerbil, hey, still alive. And you know that they were dead, but we do this on a regular basis. We replace. The dog passes away, and the very next day you get another dog. You don't take time to, to, to grieve actually what was lost. You, don't take, you, you break up in a relationship, what do you do? Immediately some people try to find another relationship. They don't go through a grieving process, which usually leads to a rebound, which actually hurts the person in the process. And it goes on and on when it comes to loss, grief, as well as those you know, who which have passed away. Now replacing. Uh, the next way we do this is medicating. Medicating is an easy temptation to take something we know that will take some of the temporary sting away, that would numb the pain. Do you ever notice in every single TV show, every movie, after someone passes away, there seems to be another scene where people are drinking, right? Like I'm just, just trying to medicate my way. This is kind of what's been encouraged or shown as a way to be able to get through this. So that, but that could also be food. 
could be drugs, could be pornography, anything that helps us to temporarily take away the pain so we don't have to feel it. We just want to be numb for a while. And so we want to choose to actually try to feel better in the midst of that moment. Maybe for you, it's uh, rushing. Maybe the next one, rushing. We just love to get busy or we try to rush through the grief. Like, uh, let's have a quick service so that we can just get on with our lives. Or if you lose something, you just pour yourself even more into work or an activity so not to think about and thus not to feel about whatever you're losing or whatever you've lost. Or then this last one, how about shutting down? Shutting down, the temptation just to crawl into bed and not want to get out. Nothing tastes good, nothing feels good, nothing feels like it will ever be good. So as you look at the screen, which one, maybe even two, which, which is yours? Which is your temptation instead of going through grief that you try to avoid grief? In fact, I'm going to ask you to risk a little bit. Uh, go ahead and share that with the person next to you. Uh, for some of you, the person next to you could probably tell you instantly, you know, what it is. But go ahead and be willing to share. What is your temptation when it comes to avoiding grief? Go ahead and share it for just, just a second. As you continue to do so, uh, I know for me it's intellectualizing and then rushing would be my second one. You know, like, hey, let's move things on. Let's pour myself in. You know, it's, it's interesting as you begin to recognize and verbalize some of your temptations and your go-to instead of grieving. But you know that there is actually a healthy and good way that we are encouraged to grieve that's actually been given to us by God. And this is something we don't talk about very much. And I apologize to you as a pastor, because I'm not good at this. And I've not talked about this much in the seven years I've been here. But followers of Jesus, we're given the opportunity to do something called lament. To do something called lament. Now, it's not a word that we commonly use, because most Christians have a temptation to just counsel and say, hey, just look at the bright side. It's going to get better. They're not suffering anymore. Or I guess God needed them more than you did. Or at least they're in heaven. And some of those things may be true. But there is another more healthy way for us to go through grief, to go through loss, and that is to lament, which means to express deep regret, grief, and sorrow, and here's the key, back to God. See, what God says in Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Whether you feel his presence or not, he is there. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Well, how do I get rescued if my spirit is crushed? We go through what God calls lament, to cry out in grief, especially directed to the Lord. See, let me help me make a distinction. To cry is human. To lament is Christian. And there's a difference. Uh, did you know that, that Psalms is a book in our Old Testament, one of the biggest books in the Bible, that one-third, over 30% of all the psalms in our Old Testament are psalms of lament. They're actually psalms of lament. When people are struggling, have gone through loss, pain, suffering, they are psalms of lament. In fact, we have a book in our Bibles we never talk about called Lamentations. Lamentations. And the whole book is about the destruction of Jerusalem and how the prophet laments over what took place. And here's what's fascinating. In every single lament we have in our Bibles, there are four things that always happens in every lament that I want to teach to you as you're processing through your own loss or grief as you walk through maybe a different way that you've never heard of before. But, and so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to look at um, um, Psalms 13. 
And before we get there, understand lament can be both words, but also actions. If you read in our Bibles, it's kind of foreign to us, but we read about people who go through great loss or tragedy and they, and they sometimes they rip their clothes and they, and they put on these things called sackcloth and then they put ashes or sit in ashes. What does that mean? Well, sackcloth, you know, uh, was the coarse material usually made of black goat's hair, making it quite uncomfortable showing everybody that, look, I'm going through something. The ashes signify desolation or ruin. So in other words, this is out in the open. I'm not going to hide this. It's okay for everybody else to see that I'm going through something for this season. Instead, we're like, I'm like, you're like, I'm fine. You're fine. We're all fine. Let's just kind of move on from there. It's okay to not be okay. What we do during the not okay is actually the key. But lament is a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears, our frustrations, our sorrows for the purpose of actually helping us to renew eventually our confidence of God. So in Psalms 13 is one of dozens and dozens of examples in our Bible and hopefully it can be a help to you as that I know it's been for me this week. So here are the four things that you see in every lament that you can begin to practice this week. The first is in every lament, there is a turning to God. There's a turn to God. We have a tendency to turn to a lot of other people or we ignore it, but there's always a turn to God. So in verse one, it starts with, oh Lord. And every, every lament you're gonna see, I'm directing this to God. How long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? The point is the person in pain chooses to talk to God in addition to other people about what is happening. So we turn to God. Every lament is to turn to him. That's what makes it different. Secondly, we're called to bring our pain, our complaint, our loss, our grief, our sin, all of that stuff, we're called to bring it to God. Like, let's look at verse two. How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? He's talking to God. With sorrow in my heart every day. How long will my enemy have the upper hand? So he's not just talking about loss of a loved one, but he's also talking about the circumstance they find themselves in. Now, what's fascinating is if you read these Psalms, it sure feels like people are complaining a lot about their circumstances, and they are. What makes us feel uncomfortable is we'll read a Psalm, and if you're honest, you'll read it and be like, can you really talk to God that way? Yeah, not only can you talk to God that way, this is what God wants you to do on a regular basis, to cry out to him, to express everything you're thinking, everything that you're feeling. God, I'm angry. God, I'm hurt. God, I'm angry at you. Why did this happen? God, why did you let this happen? I'm struggling here, Lord. Don't you see me? Don't you see my circumstance? I am so undone by you fill in the blank. I am so missing so-and-so. I am so struck that I was rejected by. And you cry out to God in every hurt, frustration, and loss that you and I are experiencing. And as we go through that, God wants to be the one. And that's why he gives us so many examples in the Psalms of people who cried out honestly to him and lament. In fact, uh, it's, it's interesting that one of the things that God continues to point out to is that some of our laments could be because of the pain that we have caused others. I don't know if you've ever found yourself you know, in a situation where you're hurting other people and you're in hurt, 
your suffering because of actually your cause or being a part of causing other people to suffer. Which is why in 2 Corinthians 7, it says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in, sal in salvation. It's called repentance, to turn the other way. Like one of the, the most popular Psalms of lament, it's by, by the name of David. We know him as King David, right? He, he has adultery, commits adultery. He, he has her husband killed. Uh, he tries to cover it up and he's found out. And so what does he do? He writes a Psalm of lament. Notice what he does. Verse one, have mercy on me, O God. Where does he direct it? To God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Talk about sleepless nights. And he knows what he's done to other people, and he cries out in sin. And so for us, do you have the loss? Do you have grief? Have you directed that to him? Have you just been honest and let it out? Which leads us to the third part, which in every lament, there's an asking of God for help. And they're bold and they're asking. They ask boldly for help. So they turn to God, they bring all of their complaints, frustrations, hurts to God. And then there is a time to change and start asking God for help. Look at verse three. Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. See, after we brought our complaints, our hurts, our pains to him, our bold requests now are anchored in the character of God. We beg God, God, we need you to intervene because we do believe that you are just because you are loving, that you are faithful, because you keep your promises. It moves us from crying out to God to recognizing the character of God by asking God for help that we see other people experiencing or that we see in his word. Say, God, allow this to happen in my life. And then as you go through this, you get to the fourth. So first is approach God. Second, bring your complaints to God and your cries and your sorrows and your hurts to God. Third, ask God for help. And lastly, the very end, make a choice. And this one's hard, to trust God. You gotta make a choice to trust God. This is the destination for all of laments that you read about in the Bible. As we go through the st stages of grief, this is key. And more than the stages of grief that we're gonna talk about next week, this language renews our commitment and our trust in him. Notice how Psalms ends, and this ends in all the Psalms of lament. It says, but... I trust in your fail, unfailing love. I will rejoice because you've rescued me. Think about this. Has God rescued him? No. He just wrote three verses earlier. God, rescue me. God, help me. But he's making a conscious choice to say, even though this hasn't happened, I'm going to trust that it's going to happen because I trust you. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Does he feel like the Lord is good to him now? Absolutely not. But he's making that choice. See, laments interpret the world through a God-centered lens. And here's what I tell you. You're not gonna be able to do this just one time. This is something, depending on the severity and the depth of your loss, of your pain, of your grief, that you might have to do over and over again and over again, depending on what it may be. But what will happen, I promise, 
is that you begin to grow in confidence. You begin to go in perspective. And most importantly, you get to go through grief instead of avoid it because this is what God taught us what and how to do. See, laments interpret the world, like I said, through this biblical lens because we know the big picture. That's the uniqueness of being a follower of Christ, that there was a creation, there was a fall, there is redemption, and at the end, there will be a restoration. There will be, and all things will be created as they were intended to be back in the garden, which is why in Revelation we read in chapter 21, verse 4, that God will wipe every tear from their eyes eventually, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever, amen? All of them. That's why when Christians, we not only mourn the brokenness of the world, but we mourn for the day when all weeping, and we hope for the day that all weeping will actually cease. Because you and I know the end of the story. We know that the tomb is empty. We know that this world will not last. We know that we will be with Jesus forever. Does it mean we're not gonna go through trouble or hardship or pain or suffering? No, but it helps us to have the strength and the perspective to go through these Psalms of lament in our own lives and to help us as we realize that one day it'll be over, which is why Paul reminds us that we are to grieve. We're supposed to go through this, but the difference is there's an aspect of hope that we should have. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. He's not saying don't grieve. He says this is an opportunity to grieve differently. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Grief is good if it causes us to go to God. Jesus promised us that in this world, we're gonna have trouble. Jesus went through trouble. We're gonna have sorrow. Jesus went through sorrow. We're gonna have grief and loss at the deepest level. Jesus went through grief and loss at the deepest level. But take heart, Jesus says, because I'm with you and I have overcome the world. And it helps as we go through this and we don't do it alone. So as we close for this week one, what or who have you not allowed yourself to grieve? That's where it starts. Identify, where is that? And secondly, how and when, second and a step further, will you take time this week to lament your loss? As a reminder, where I know we're just scratching the surface and there's other resources that we have, you know, available to you online that we love to say like, hey, I just want to kind of dive in more to this. You already heard about grief share, which is great if you've lost someone. Divorce care, if you're going through that relationally, it's like going through a death. And there's other ways pastorally in your life group. Just don't do it alone and don't push it down inside. Walk through this and let this be a new way to walk through the healthy part of experiencing grief. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. For today is your day. We love you. We praise you. Father, there's a lot of pain as I've watched over these last several services that uh, people in this room are going through, whether it's been in the past for, for, for decades or even something that maybe happened this morning, I just pray, Father, you just allow us to come to you, that we would cry out to you, that we'd ask you for help, and that, Father, we would choose to say the words, even if we're having a hard time believing, even if we're having a hard time feeling, to choose to trust you. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.